Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing. You care so deeply, and you want us to know you as you know us. And we are grateful that you have given us the avenue, the ability, the means to connect with you. May this time that we spend together in your word do just that. Draw us closer to you and help to open our eyes and our minds to who you truly are. We give you thanks and praise for this time. We, we do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may have heard of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was the White House assistant to President Nixon, and he went to jail because of Watergate. There are many uh, officials that went to jail, and while Chuck Colson was in jail, he became a Christian. And as a Christian, he began to have his thinking transformed. He began to have a different perspective on things. And he discovered a revelation. The revelation that he discovered was that there was this insidious disease infecting and crippling our nation. And this disease is known as meism. Now, meism is a subtle yet consuming passion to please one's self. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last probably 20 years, there's been hundreds of self-help books written. And in our society, people are always talking about eating right and looking good, right? There always seems to be one of these self-help books on the top 10 list. Now, it's not necessarily bad to care, it's not bad to care about yourself, but the problem with meism is that self has been exalted. And so our society is basically saying, be your own authority, make your own decisions, be your own boss. Well, this morning I want to propose that it is not good to be your own authority. The only authority you should have in your life, or really the main authority, is God through the scripture, through the Bible. And so this morning, we are going to talk about what's called the tenets of faith. Tenet is a word of like the foundational truths. The tenets of faith of our denomination, ECO, Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians. When this denomination, denomination ECO, was formed, and we left the PCUSA to come to ECO, it was... One of the main reasons was because the PCUSA would not set down a tenets of faith. They would not label what were the foundational truths of the Christian faith. They didn't want to do that. And so because of that, and some other reasons, but what, that was one of the main reasons. Because of that, ECO was formed, and we set up these tenets of faith for the denomination. And so today, we're going to start a series to go through all of our tenets of faith. There's like five of them. We're going to go through the tenets of faith to talk about what are the foundational truths, what are those core Christian beliefs, what are those teachings that we as Christians need to understand and to believe and to know and that will guide us in our lives. So today, we're going to start with God's word, the authority of our confession. God's word, the authority of our confession. Now, the very first section in uh, the Tenets of Faith of Eco says this. 
the clearest declaration of God's glory. So if you want to know God, if you want to know God's glory, the clearest declaration of God's glory is found in his word, both incarnate and written. We're told in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 14, that the Son of God became flesh. The word became flesh, took on flesh, and dwelt among us so Hold the very glory of God. God becoming flesh is the term known as the incarnation, or God's word incarnate. And next week we're going to talk about that. But for our purposes this morning, it is important to understand that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are able to understand the mystery of who God is and how we can be in a deep and personal relationship with this creating God. Okay, so that's about the carnation, incarnation. But the second part of it is God's word, the Bible. We're going to talk about that this morning. First, we're going to talk about how through his word we can know him and his glory. And then we're going to look at, more importantly, what the Bible has to say about this. So first, knowing God shapes our moral standards. In Jeremiah 9, 23-24, it says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this. And read the yellow with me. That they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. See, Jeremiah tells us that we should boast in the fact that we can and do know God, that we can understand God. Why? Because all you have to do is look around and see that our world sorely lacks good ethical standards. We see people stealing from other people, people being dishonest, people abusing others without any remorse, people lost in their political correctness, teaching that it doesn't matter what you believe, it's all okay. In August, our family is going to go to Europe. We're going to go to London and three cities in Italy and then to Barcelona. And everybody that has been there and hears of our trip or say, oh, you're going to have a great time. It's going to be such a great trip. But the next breath, they say, but be careful of thieves. <laughs> There are a lot of thieves there. In fact, people are giving us bags, all these bags. Here, take this, take this to, to protect our money and to protect our phones, right? And they're telling us all the stories of, that they've heard about people losing their money and bags being cut and things taken out and, and all these different things of, of where you, they try to steal from you. And you're like, wow, okay, I'm going to have a great time, huh? <laughs> I'm not paranoid at all. I'm going to be walking around like this, right? <laughs> look at that castle. No, I can't. I can't look at that castle. I have to watch out for thieves, uh, right? <laughs> we live in a very dangerous and unsafe world because people lack good morals. A number of years ago, I was at a pastor's conference. There's about 5,000 pastors. And the session ended, and we had a little break for the next session, and everybody just stood up and just walked out of the room. We just left all our stuff on our chairs. And we went in the next room, and we socialized and, and took our break. 
not even worrying about if anything was going to happen to our stuff that we left behind. Why? Because the people that were in this room were all people who followed God. They were Christ followers. They were trustworthy. They had good, high moral standards because they lived according to God's word. See, when we know God, our morals and our ethics are stronger. And we treat others with respect and love. Secondly, knowing God affects our response to pain and hardship. Psalm 18, 1-2 says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. What great words these are, referring to God's place in our lives. He is my rock. He's the one I can stand on. He is my refuge, the one I can go to when I need to, to hide away. He is my shield, the one who gives me protection. He is my stronghold, the one who watches over me. The difference in our lives when we know God is that we can be in a strong and secure place even when there is pain and struggle and hardship and uncertainty. God is there to watch over us. God is there to get us through. God is there to comfort and strengthen us. God is there to lift us up out of that pain and that struggle. Third, knowing God determines our response toward things like fortune and fame and power. I read a quote the other day that says this, many people have finally realized that money can't buy happiness. Now they're trying credit cards. (laughs) Right? People are always trying to find a way to make more money, to have more spending power. With the existence of the lottery and the other ways that you can get money, people are hoping against hope to have this money, thinking that if they get more money, or if they get fame, or if they get power, then they will be happy. But the truth is, if you're not happy before you get these things, you will not be happy after you get them. These things will not bring happiness to your life. But if you know God, then God can help you to put perspective on your life. Paul challenges us when he says in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in that wealth that they have, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope where? In God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in, not money, rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. If you have money, be generous. Give it away. Help people. Be generous. Be rich in your generosity. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, when we get to heaven, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God's word gives us perspective of what is really important in life and what should bring us enjoyment and fulfillment. The blessings of God. The desire to be generous and giving. The the wonderful relationship that God gives us with special people in our lives and that he gives us with his very being. Fourth, knowing God determines our lifestyle and our philosophy. In the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip, 
Calvin is sitting under a tree, and he has his stuffed tiger, Hobbes. But for, ha for Calvin, whenever there is no one around Hobbes, his stuffed tiger, tiger becomes real to him. And he has these wonderful conversations with Hobbes. So they're sitting under the tree, and, and Calvin says to Hobbes, how do you think we got here? To which Hobbes says, we walked here. <laughs> no, 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 Calvin says. I mean, how did we get here on earth? Hobbes says, because earth can support us. No, Calvin says, I mean, why are we anywhere? Why do we exist? To which Hobbes says, because we were born. <laughs> and at this point, Calvin is getting very frustrated. And finally, he says, forget it. To which Hobbes says, I will, thank you. <laughs> you know, when we search these deep questions of life, why do I exist? What is my purpose? What am I here on earth for? It can be understand, uh, difficult to understand these answers. But we read in Ephesians some words that shed light on some of these deep questions. In Ephesians 1, 3 to 10, the Apostle Paul talks about how God chose us, adopted us as his children, redeemed us with the blood of Christ, and lavished on us all his wisdom and understanding so that God could make known his mysteries to us. And so we could understand that we are to be in a relationship with God and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And all of this comes to us through God's word. I want you to imagine for a moment that I had two bowls here. And in one bowl, I have clear water. And in the second bowl, I have this red colored water. And I also have two sponges. And so I take the first sponge and I dip it in the first bowl and I take it out and I squeeze it. What's gonna come out of that sponge? Clear water, right? Then I take the second sponge and I dip it in the second bowl and then I squeeze it. What's gonna come out of that sponge? Red colored water, right? which helps us to understand that whatever we saturate ourselves with, that is what's going to come out of us when we are squeezed. Whatever we saturate ourselves with, that will come out of us. And so as we go to the second point, I want us to think about how we need to saturate ourselves with the Word of God, the Bible. Read the yellow with me, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So sometimes you might wonder, well, why do I need to read the Bible? Why is the Bible there? Or why can't I just come to church and let the, the pastor tell me what the Bible says, right? Or why can't I just read this devotion or the pastor's devotion and, and just learn the Bible that way, right? Well, the reason why we're all called to read the Bible is because it is there for us. It is God-breathed. God has breathed his word, his words into the Bible, and it is there to teach us and rebuke us and correct us and to train us. First of all, we see... The Bible proclaims the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
See, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ alone is the Savior of the world, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone, is stated over and over and over again in the Bible. It's the, the primary theme of the Bible. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or Ephesians 2, four, or Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or Ephesians 2, 4-5, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Next, it teaches us. First it proclaims the same gospel, then it teaches us what is necessary for faith and life. You've probably heard or seen uh, a, a trust test, right? Something like this, where someone stands there and there's someone behind you and it's like, okay, fall, and you just have to fall back and you trust that this person behind you is going to catch you, right? Now, if you're the first person that does it, you might be a little nervous, a little uncomfortable. But if nine people have gone before you and you've seen success after success after success, when you become the 10th person that has to do it, you probably are not nearly as nervous before because you've seen the success of all those that have gone before you. This is one of the things that the Bible does for us. It gives us example upon example of people who trusted in the Lord and the Lord worked in and through their lives. You saw them have success in their lives because they trusted in the Lord. And so when we come to our own lives, we understand that, that Abraham trusted in the Lord and, and God gave him a son in his old age and he became the father of many nations. Or you see David trust in the Lord and he became this great king and servant of the Lord. Or you see Paul trust in the Lord and God guided him to proclaim the gospel so that many, many people believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior and your Lord and found salvation because of Paul's faithfulness and because of God working through Paul. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. Through the Bible, He has given us everything we need to live a godly life. God's Word is there to teach us, to guide us, to give us everything we need to live that godly life He calls us to live. So it proclaims the saving gospel, it teaches what is necessary for faith and life, and the Bible consists of the Old and New Testaments as the infallible Word of God. To confess that the Bible is infallible is to confess that the Scripture is incapable of teaching any error. Taken in itself, this is a term that strongly presents the perfection of Scripture. The prophets and the apostles not only did not err, they could not err when writing Scripture because they were filled with the Spirit and inspired. So the Bible is truly there to communicate to us what God wants us to know and to believe and how God wants us to love or live. So proclaiming the saving gospel, teaches what is necessary for faith and life, consists of the Old Testament as the infallible word of God, and is written by God's servants whom he has chosen and were inspired by the Holy Spirit.
the Holy Spirit came upon the people that God wanted to write the scriptures. They filled the, he, the Holy Spirit filled those people so that they would want what God wanted them to write. We can see that the circumstances, experiences, and characteristics of each person came out, right? So their own personality came out in their writings. Paul's writing is different than Peter's writing. And Peter's writing is different than John's writing. So there's a uniqueness about their writing. But there is still the, the filling of the Spirit leading them to write what God wanted them to write. And in some cases, writing things that went beyond their own comprehension. The Holy Spirit giving them insight or wisdom to write things that they had not even seen or known. God, the Holy Spirit, brought directly to bear on the writers of the scriptures a divine influence that ensured that as long as they thought and spoke and wrote under this influence, all their statements would accurately convey what God wanted to be revealed. And we see this corroborated in the Bible as it has been written over a period of more than 3,000 years on three different continents in three different languages by more than 40 different authors, and yet it fits perfectly together. I've used this as illustration before, um, especially in the new members class, but imagine that uh, there's just three people, three people right here, and they're on the, the sidewalk, and all of a sudden an accident happens right in front of him. And immediately the policemen come, right, immediately, right? The police come immediately, and they separate them, and they say, Karen, what did you see? Arnold, what did you see? Elaine, what did you see? And ask each of them to describe what they saw in that accident. And I guarantee you there would be similarities, but there would also be differences. Even though it happened right in front of them moments before. And yet the Bible, written by over 40 different authors in three different languages on three different continents over a period of more than 3,000 years, fits together perfectly because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Claims the saving gospel, teaches what is necessary, is infallible word of God, written by God's servants, and the Holy Spirit illumines the word to us. So not only did the, the Holy Spirit inspire those who wrote the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit helps us in understanding scriptures when we read it. John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. See, this is one of the most important works of the Holy Spirit, to teach, interpret, and explain all that Christ has said. All the Bible has said to make the Bible more plain and easy to understand, to instruct us in a way that we not only understand it, but that we can then teach it and share it with others. That is an important role that the Holy Spirit has. So we go on. We see all that the Holy Spirit has done, but also that God alone is the Lord of the conscience through his Spirit and his written word. Have you ever had a situation where you were talking to a friend and you were thinking of doing something and you're sharing with your friend what you're thinking of doing and all of a sudden your friend says, you can't do that. And you're like, what do you mean I can't do that? Why can't I do that? And your friend says, that isn't a good thing to do. I don't think you should do that. That's called accountability, right? Your friend is trying to call you on something you're going to do that you shouldn't do, right? And trying to keep you from doing that wrong thing. 
along with God putting people in our life to keep us accountable, that God uses the word of God and the conscience that he has put in us to check us, to know what is right and what is wrong, what is good to do, what is not good to do. Oftentimes, we might be thinking of doing something, and then we have this uneasy feeling, like, maybe I shouldn't do this. That is our conscience working in us, telling us, don't do that. Or maybe we do something wrong, and afterwards we feel this guilt, right? That is our conscience working in us, saying, you shouldn't have done that. You need to go to God, you need to ask for forgiveness, and you need to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. That is God putting a conscience in each one of us to help us to know what is good and what is right, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. That is a wonderful tool that God has given us in his life. And the Bible speaks about this very clearly. And lastly, the Bible claims the saving gospel, teaches us what's necessary, it's infallible word of God, written by his servants who are inspired, illumines us, gives us a conscience, and lastly, the word of God binds us together as a community of faith. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And you think, okay, all these people here in this room, how can we be perfectly united in mind and spirit, right? We can't on our own on our own strength, in our own ways, in our own thoughts. The only way we can be bound together as a community of faith, the only way that we can have perfect, be perfectly united in mind and thought is to let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us into the will of God. And if we are looking for what is the will of God, and we all agree, okay, this is the will of God, then we will be unified in that thinking, right? Because our thinking will be what God wants us to think, what God wants us to know, what God wants us to do. The Holy Spirit binds us together and keeps us in perfect unity. Over the years, many have tried to rid the world of the Bible, rid the world of Christianity, only to see God's word become stronger and more sought after. I'm going to like to close with a poem called The Anvil is Unharmed by John Clifford, and it says this, Last eve I paused beside the blacksmith's door, and I heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. Then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, said he, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word, for ages skeptic blows have beat upon it. Yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammer's gone. The word of God is infallible and is eternal. God has given us his word as a very word from him to us. 1 Peter 1.25 says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And so I want to encourage us to, to understand that the very word of God is there for us as his people to lead us in our faith, to guide us in our lives, to bind us as a people and as a church, and to lead us into God's will so that we might perfectly live for him 
in unity with one another. Let us pray.